hello and welcome to the Long Ball Football Podcast, a weekly podcast by two brothers about all things football in Portugal. You're listening to myself, Albert, and as always, I'm joined by my brother, Barney. How are you doing, Barney? Had a good week? I have, yeah. Um, I bought some flowers today for my wife because it's our wedding anniversary tomorrow and I was walking home with this big bunch of flowers and everyone was looking at me and it was right. uh, looking at the flowers and it was quite nice and it got me thinking, Albert, if, um, if you were to get given flowers by one player in this league... <laughs> 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 Who would you Mate, like you were telling be? that story and I was like, where is this going? <laughs> All right, this is definitely the stupidest one you've ever done. But um, if I want someone to buy me flowers, um, who's the nicest person in Portuguese football? Who's the who's the Kante of the Premier League? I feel like um, Fujimoto from Gil Vicente. He just, he just looks yeah. like a, a lovely young man. He does actually, yeah. yeah it's good <laughs> if you had to buy flowers for any player in the Premier League, Bunny, who would it be? And why is it Samuelino? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was it used to be Sergio Oliveira. I think he's the most handsome man in the league. But then I feel like okay. he's done his, his beards too. Um, he's made it too neat. It, it was better right. when it was a little bit rugged, but now it's too clean cut. So right. I don't know. I've always got a massive soft spot for Pallini. It just looks like a lovely young man. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you have it. The stupidest intro we've ever done. On another day, we might have canned it. But I think we're just gonna. I think we're just gonna use that one. <laughs> <laughs> let's move on from that kind of nonsense let's talk football it's what we're here for let's start by a little preview of the European football coming up because last week a very successful week for all the Portuguese clubs in the qualifying stages of Europe every team that was involved progressed Passos beat Lan. well they lost 1-0 on the night but they won 4-1 on aggregate Santa Clara beat Olympia Ljubljana 1-0 on the night and took a 3-0 aggregate victory back to Portugal and of course Benfica 2-0 on the night, 4-0 on aggregate. They dispatched Rui Vitoria's spot at Moscow uh, pretty pretty handsomely. Um, let's start with Passos Barney. Obviously, we all knew they were going to go for, through with that 4-0 victory. Um, 1-0 on the night turned out not to only really be a consolation for Lund. And obviously, the big news is that they'll be playing, playing Spurs in the next round. They've got the home game first, away leg second. I mean, we're behind the scenes scheming a little plan to try and get down to White Hart Lane and, and, and watch that game. We just found out today that there's no official away ticket, so there's going to be no away section. So me and Barney could be the two numpties in the crowd with a Pasta Ferreira flag surrounded by angry Spurs fans. <laughs> My massive cardboard sign begging for Douglas Tank shirt. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to smuggle that in. Um, no, it's, it's great for them. I do feel like it's going to be a step too far. The only thing that a lot of people seem to say, isn't it, is that Spurs... They could underestimate them, and I think that's mm. I think that's true of this passage for we we certainly underestimated them at the start of the season. Yeah, so there is that, and yeah, I mean it could be Harry Kane's last game, couldn't it? Because absolutely, yeah, his last game at the lane, getting handled by Maracas. You know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know. To be totally honest, though, I think I would have been more optimistic, honestly, before if anyone, and I'm sure all our listeners follow the Premier League before Spurs did quite a good job on Man City at the weekend. So, you know, if, if, if Man City had beat them 3-0, maybe I would be feeling a bit more optimistic. But I can imagine that psychologically the Spurs team will be on a big high. There'll be a lot of, there'll be a lot of uh, confidence. So it could be a tough game. I suppose having the home game first will help. I think because I think on that first leg, you don't want to get, you don't want to get battered on that first leg. You know, you want to be able to grind out a result and take that with you on the road. Um, and then, of course, you know, the likes of me and you will be there to see them over the line at White Hart Lane, you know. <laughs> oh, I imagine. Santa Clara, I think, have got a slightly easier tie. Yes, I think there's yes. there's more there's more chance of them getting through and progressing. Partizan Belgrade, they're playing. Yeah. Um, I don't know much about them. <laughs> yeah, I have to be totally honest. I, I, I wish I could tell you more. Um, well, I, mean, it's a, I mean, it's a name that we know, right? So this is not some yeah. minnow 
of European football, we don't expect them to roll over in the way that maybe Olympia did or, you know, the teams that uh, Santa Clara played earlier in the round. This will definitely be the toughest test, but I agree with you. Almost, I don't know, maybe of the three teams in Europe, I feel like this could be the, the easiest game. The only thing is that what with this um, grueling qualifying campaign for these competitions, you know, something you don't get in the group stages if you progress is every other week's an away game right? and yeah, yeah. with the conference league obviously there's a I think there's a lot more travelling going on because there's a lot more countries involved so I mean it's been a tough old slug for them um, yeah. and I think fair play to them for being so convincing so far in the conference league I think Santa Clara have really put in a good show and of course the thing we haven't mentioned yet Barney is the fact that they only had 14 players available so you know another incredible achievement that they were able to do that without you know a couple of couple of key players that were out and, and only being able to take three substitutes. Um, of course, that affected them in the league as well, which we'll, we'll come on to in, in, in just a moment. Um, and of course, Benfica in the Champions League, PSV, that to me seems like a tough game. I think PSV, I, again, I'm not that clued up on Dutch football, but you know, Ajax have been dominant in that country for years, but I do see more people online these days saying that PSV could be the first real challenger to Ajax for a while. So that does strike me as... A tough game. And, you know, to be fair, I thought Spartak Moscow was going to be tougher than it was. So so maybe I'm overrating them, but um, it could well be a tougher game than, than the game against Spartak. Potentially, but I also feel like um, I've been impressed with how they've put in an account of themselves in Europe. I think it's been two convincing results, quite professional performances. I think uh, there's no messing around. I mean, if you compare it to last season's uh, qualifying game, you know, it's completely different so far, these two games. So, yeah, I'm, I'm quite impressed with Benfica, I think that I think they'll be good for it. I've fancied them to beat PSV over two legs. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think of the two, we'll hopefully over those two legs see two of those teams go through. Passos, as I as you said, I think unfortunately uh, could be the end of the line. But you never know. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's move on to Premier League of football. Uh, and as everybody knows, we usually start with the big three teams in this country. But there was one game this week that caught our eye, and I don't think either of us wanted to miss that. We just alluded to it. Morrowinds versus Santa Clara, a game that ended 2-2. Seems like a fairly innocuous result on paper, but this was a game marred by controversy before it even started. As we said, Santa Clara with only 14 players available appealed to Morrowinds to postpone the game to a time when they would have more players available. Morrowinds turned down that request, uh, allegedly didn't even respond to it, which is quite damning. And then the game itself was full of drama nine yellow cards, two penalties, three goals in 11 minutes of stoppage time. And to top it all off, Rodrigo Contestal getting sent off three minutes after he came as a sub. Where do you want to start, Barney? Oh, where do you start? I mean, I, let's address the, um, the Moran's refusing to postpone the game. I think, um, I remember last season, I couldn't remember the two teams, but I looked up and it was Benfica appealing to CD Nationale to sort of postpone their game when they had 10 players out for COVID and CD Nationale refused. I think at the time when we said it, we're saying it again, aren't we, that it, it shouldn't be down to the clubs. You know, mm. it, it, it should be down to the league to step in and um, take control because, you know, uh, I wouldn't do it if, if I was a club, you know, and, you know, who knows, Morris might have even had the flights booked to the Azores. You know, they just couldn't couldn't be bothered to rearrange the flights. <laughs> <laughs> no, but honestly, I feel like even if you're, I mean, we're what we're one game into the season. It's not like these teams are, are trying to, you know, bite each other's heads off just to get points here and there. It just seems so petty at this stage of the season. You know, you could, you could, you know, really sort of endear yourselves to neutral fans. Um, you could earn yourself a few karma points. You, you know, just do the right thing in this situation. But yeah, as you said, if anyone who's been following us on Twitter either this week or the week when it happened between Benfica and Nacional will know that 
yeah, we've been saying, and as, as has everybody else really has been saying, that this is just ridiculous. The situation should be handled by the league and taken out of the hands of the clubs because uh, it's quite stupid, to be totally honest. Um, let's talk about the game, though, Barney. I mentioned quite a few stats there. Do you want to deal with the Rodrigo Consasau issue? This is quite quite incredible and, and just, you know, you couldn't write it. You know, Sergio Consasau's son going on loan for his first few minutes in, well, in men's professional football in Portugal. I know he's played for the B teams. He survives three minutes and he gets sent off. Have you heard why he allegedly was sent off? I couldn't work it out. I, I it, Something he was saying, he said, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, obviously we don't know for factually, but uh, if anyone does know, please let us know. But I did see online a few people were saying that he allegedly, you know, mouthed off at the fourth official on the touchline and he was right over by the touchline. And if you watch the if the highlights, they really don't show any helpful footage at all. But he does, the referee does just seem to to hear something or see something. Yeah. And it, there's no, it's interesting because there's no hesitation in his mind, is there? There's no hesitation uh, in the ref's mind. He, he goes straight for the red card. So you can only imagine what was said, but, you know, coming from, uh, the scene of Sergio Consasau, who knows? <laughs> well, that's what I love. Uh, João Henrique, as the manager after the game, said, you know, we had, we had some bad decisions by the referee. Rodrigo didn't say anything to be expelled, but sometimes we pay for surnames. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I would just love it, you know, because uh, to be fair, Consasau has, <laughs> has laid into the refs a fair amount. And, that's, it's a fair point. And he, <laughs> no, you can't be taken out on his sons, man. <laughs> Well, let's talk, let's talk about the game from a footballing perspective. 2-2, one point each. I think, to be fair, every neutral wanted Santa Clara to get the result here, but they didn't. Morrowind's got their two goals. Going into the 89th minute, Barney, Santa Clara were 1-0 up. And then 100, 100 minutes, we're looking at 2-2. So it did get a bit crazy. I wonder whether Santa Clara giving away a penalty. Well, both teams had a penalty, to be fair. But I wonder whether Santa Clara it was catching up with them, really, the games they played in quick succession, the players they've had out, the travelling they've done. Because on paper, this was a game I would have expected them to, to win. Yeah, and I think they were the, the better team overall in this game. I think um, I did write it down. I did feel like there wasn't... The concentration wasn't there for me towards the end of the game because it goes to one one and then then they went two one up and like ninth the ninety fourth minute or something and you know you should be able to close the game out. I think in the highlights you can see about 90, 96 minute they've they've got an attack and Carlos Junior decides to take a shot when like you know mm, he can't yeah. be taken out to the corner you know yeah so yeah they'd be gutted with that. I mean it, I mean if you were to look at the game from the narrative that Rorens are the bad guys, I mean it's yeah. just it's absolutely heartbreaking. Isn't it? But Fair play to Morin's getting that point. <laughs> it's it's so hard to get your head around, isn't it? This game, so so many stories going on. Yeah, absolutely crazy. Well, if any of our listeners are relatively new to Portuguese football, you know, and and want an advert for the sport in Portugal, we can give you so many, you know, Champions League clubs, teams with history. But the one thing we can also offer you is a, a decent amount of drama every week. Well, let's move let's move back up to the kind of top end of the table, Barney. Let's start of the big three teams. I would quite like to start with Porto this week. Actually, they played Family Cow. Uh, and got a 2-1 win. Two goals from Tony Martinez and a goal back from Riccielli. Uh, how the game went. And for me, Barney, the story of the game, and obviously only two games in, but for, of the season so far for Porto, really, is the uh, performance of Tony Martinez and his blossoming partnership with, with Mediterranean. Wonderful link-up for the first goal. And I really bought taking second from Martinez. And two fantastic finishes. You must be feeling quite smug after tipping him for top scorer in the league this year last week. Yeah, I'm feeling very smug about that. I mean, <laughs> I'm just gonna I just want to say is XG for this game out because you got well X, XG for the season, three goals with an XG of 1.22. And bear in mind, you know, 
one of the scores in this game was based on open goal. So like, you know, wow. yeah. and you get last season as well, seven seven goals and an XG of 2.67. The guy is such a good finisher. Mm. And I, re- you know, and you mentioned the partnership with Teremi. I think, yeah, it's it looks to work really well, doesn't it? Teremi seems to, which we did, I guess we didn't really see that much of last season. His ability to drop deep and sort of drag defenders, play balls through to Tony Martinez. Yeah, it was. Um, it's looking. It's looking dangerous that front too. I think what Conchesal said after the game, and I think what I found quite evident in this game is they're very comfortable in attack. They're very comfortable in midfield defensively. I think we saw a few errors in this game and a few um, frailties that you know they need to address. And you know you talked about last week left back man. Well, it's an issue one for the game, Barney, because obviously Manafar started at left back and then he brought on Salusi. Uh, who I didn't think had a great game at all. It was his wayward pass, which led to one of the most controversial incidents of the game, which was Family Cow's disallowed goal. Uh, that was a really, really controversial moment about, I think it was right in the dying stages of the game as well, maybe even in the 93rd minute. Sanusi's got the ball midway in the Family Cow half and just passes it to them. They break. And I believe the goal was disallowed for 12 centimetres offside. Very, very tight. Very tight. And you could see, the interesting thing was, Barney, you could really see Sergio Conceição's frustration at that moment, at what Sanusi had done. So, uh, but He's talked about how, uh, I saw there were some comments after the game that they're going to resolve this issue internally in regards to the left-back. You know, there's a, a the Brazilian, this side, 20-year-old Leo Borges, who signed for the B team. I wonder if we might see him getting promoted to the first team. But I, the other thing I wanted to bring to the table was, you know, they signed Cardoso from the Santa Clara in the summer. The Makana's due back from injury. Uh, there's Banner centre-back. They obviously got Diego late on the books. Manifa, Sanusi, and, you know, let's not forget Jao Mario's preferred position as a winger. Offensively, they're very good fullbacks, but defensively, there's there's been questions, and I think that's mm. fair to say. Mm. Do you think he's got to revert to going with three centre-backs, you know, mix it up just so they're protected that little bit more? Uh, do you know what? I, I, it doesn't sound like a, an awful idea, but I don't think that's the way Sergio wants to play, I think. If you played that formation, I think he would be he would be losing a player that he really likes because he would either be losing one of the two strikers or he would be dropping a Luis Diaz or even a player like Otavio, who we know that he he, he loves players like Otavio. He, he plays him every opportunity he gets. So I feel like he would probably lose something in midfield that that he didn't want to. I don't think the solution is to play fire the back. I think the solution is to just sign a proper left back. I mean, come on, like they've had what they had last summer, they had January. And they had this summer. They've had three transfer windows now. Obviously, look, the window's not closed. They could still do something. Um, but they've had three windows now to sort this out. And it just seems like a it, really bizarre that that they haven't. I don't understand it. Well, I, they're probably waiting on that corona money to come through if that moves to Seville come through. Mm. So there might be movement from there. But um, for Family Cow, I think they did well in this game. I thought, even though they lost, I thought, you know, you, they, they obviously had that last uh, last minute goal ruled out. I thought their attack looked um, pretty frightening, and mm. you know that that's that was without an out and out striker. You know, Ivan Jamie wearing number ten, playing that front three of the two Rodriguez either side. I mean, you, you must look like that, but he looked pretty good. He did look good, and it encouraged me as well because that performance. Obviously, they didn't get um, they didn't get a response in terms of result, but they got a response from their game against Passos in terms of performance because they looked. Uh, they lacked intensity. They lacked drive against Passos. They were just second best to everything. And uh, I think this was a good performance because they looked like they had that fight back. And I think that's something that we saw from them so much, that certain so well, they just looked like a team of players all fighting for each other and fighting for every every individual battle on the pitch. So I think it was encouraging from that sense. But obviously, ultimately, it is two losses in two games. And I think they will be desperate for that next win. 
the next game of the weekend is against Aruka. So, you know, we've seen the results Aruka haven't had recently. So encouragement there. And I think they will just be looking to get over this hump that they're on and, and get some points on the board. Yeah, I think they, they need to be looking at Aruka as a, a game to, to get points. They, they desperately need it. I, I just wanted to talk about one player before we move on. Um, the new centre-back, Batu Bensinka, they got from Belgium. He's not impressed me. And the reason okay. I'm bringing it up is because well, I thought he was at fault for the second, Martin as a second guy. I think he completely uh, lost him. Mm. And I, I've also felt he played him on the side for the first. But um, the reason I'm bringing him up is because Diego Queiroz is, is not in this team. We saw this last season, you know, he's the Portuguese under-21 captain, under-23 captain. And he's clearly highly regarded by people in football, in Portuguese football. But wh- why can't he get himself into this family cow defence? And, uh, you know, they, there was a youth player in uh, Penetra starting ahead of him. It's just, it's a, it's a real mystery to me. Well, obviously, we don't know. Maybe there could be an injury there. But I do remember last year him not getting quite as many minutes as I, I expected. And, and actually, the minutes that I did see him play, I, I'm not sure he really caught, caught my eye so much. Um, it's a bit of a cliche, but maybe he's one of those players who, you know, can performs well for the national team and maybe struggles for a bit of motivation for the club. Who knows? But that's have been Sinker. I think he looks okay to me. He looked good. Def- he looked relatively good defensively, but I didn't see so much in the terms of, you know, the kind of all round, you know, the modern centre-back, I suppose you expect to see these days. Porto's next game, Barney, Maritimo uh, at the weekend. They've got two wins from two, two relatively comfortable wins, I think. Uh, plenty of goals going in so they'll go into that game full of confidence uh, and I think they'll be looking to get one over on Maritimo let's move on to Benfica Barney they beat Aruka that we just mentioned 2-0 with goals from Luka Vujmic and new man Roman Yeremchuk it was similar to last week and that was quite a changed 11 from the side that started in the UCL qualifier against Spartak we had Morato Gil Diaz uh, Gilberto Everton and Vujmic coming to the side as well as the man who I think really stole the show, 15 million euro man, Roman Juremchuk, uh, a goal and assist on the night. I think it's safe to say that he announced himself to the league in this game. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the rotation of it, but um, João Mario and Mace, for me, particularly mate in this game, I thought you were fantastic. That's your starting midfield pair. And obviously Juremchuk is scary. I think he's he's, he's going to be real trouble in this league. But Walshmitt alongside him, I thought this, mm. these, these two as a front two were worked really well. And um We've never seen Walshmitt sort of play, well, certainly the best I've seen him play um, in this 4-4-2 formation. I thought they, he was almost playing like a number nine, which I haven't seen before. You know, Both of them making runs, both of them stretching the Aruka defence. Blessing Lomeno on Twitter made a really good point about Uremshuk, and that is decision-making is markedly better than Severovic or Darwin. Mm. And there was a couple of counter-attacks in this game that you know, you know George would like, to, would like to see more of, and Uremshuk's run and his passes put them in really dangerous positions. So, you know, all the signings Hurricanes made this summer are, are really coming good. And I think they look like a strong team. Yeah. And I think one of the things they've got now is they've always had depth because they've had so many players on the books. But I feel like now they've got squad depth that the manager can trust. And I think this is something that's different this season than last season. I think last season we saw him stick too rigidly to very similar 11. And you just got the sense that he didn't have that trust in those fringe players. He didn't believe in them to come in and make a difference. So I think this season, that's something that's a little bit different where he's got the trust in those players he's got on the bench. And that rotation could really be key because if we we said so many times last year that the team looked stale and it needed freshening up. If he's able to do that now this season, that could really make a difference in terms of the amount of points they were able to accumulate last year. Uh, And just getting more points on the board, getting more games over the line this year. If you look at this back four as well, because when I saw the team sheet, I was like, oh, hello. 
you know, this backfield could be could be tested by Ruta. But Morato, like he looked good. I thought um he's been promoted from the B team where he's a regular starter last season, but I think we're going to see more of him. He's left footed. He's got a lot of similarities with Tongan. I think he's seemed to be comfortable. He can make a nice forward pass. And I think he's going to be obviously have a bit more pace from Wittonga. So yeah, I think he's he's one to keep an eye on. And then Gil Diaz was brilliant at left back. And, and you know, obviously wasn't tested defensively that much in this game, but he's still not shot, you know, the highest amount of tackles, the second highest amount of interceptions by anyone on the pitch in this game. And I just wasn't expecting that from him playing at left back. Really surprised me. Did very well. And also as did Gilberto, who, I don't know, he seems to be getting better, Barney. He seems to be quite decent this season. I think last year, not very impressed with him at all, but some much improved performances from the early stage of the season. And just lastly on Benfica for me, uh, I do want to talk about Joao Mario, who I think had another, another excellent game. Looks very dangerous in midfield. It looks like under George Jesus, he's, you know, he's set for a productive season in a side where, and I don't know what you think about this, I feel like he's in a side now where he's taken more of the goal-creating responsibility on his shoulders than when he was at Sporting. I felt like at Sporting, he was playing slightly more of just a utility man role. Mm. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I think um, Mates allows him to do that. I think mm. that, that that's what works really well. He's up the pitch more. He's, he seems to be um, in more dangerous areas than we say, perhaps saw him at Sporting. And I, I think that's look, he's working really well. I think that that's going to be a really nice midfield partnership. I do want to talk about the red card for Ruka. I was just about to come onto this. <laughs> I feel bad because... I had a little chuckle at the time because when Victor Braga was walking off, he was shedding a few tears and I was like, oh, come on. And, you know, and he did the classic thing where, you know, you get an early red card and you just drag it out as long as possible. You stay on the pitch as long as possible, wind the clock down. But when you watch back the, the situation, the referee has absolutely stitched him up. I feel so sorry for him. I mean, Would you want to talk through it for anybody who's not aware of what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. So Yermstrup's paid through and Victor Braga comes out and collects the ball, but the linesman's flagged for offside. The ref then raises his arm to signal offside and he's put his whistle to his, his mouth and all but blown. Uh, he, he does have one arm out as if it looks like he's playing advantage. But anyway, as soon as he's, Victor Braga's rolled the ball out, ready to take the free kick, rolled the ball out on the ground. Juremcic starts herring towards it. At that point, the referee has to blow the whistle and stop it and just sort the mess out and just say, look, my bad. Mm. You know, this is what's happening. Explain mm. to the players, diffuse the situation. I just felt, I, I couldn't believe what I saw. I, I, well, the keeper comes out and rather than kicking the ball away, he, he pushes the ball away with his hand outside yeah, of the box. And he, and he did the try free... to disguise it. <laughs> <laughs> almost got away with it forgetting that there's about 12 cameras on him but uh, no yeah so he's handed the ball outside the box that's why he's got a red card do you know what I wasn't quite so sure that it was the ref's mistake I think it was it was messy refereeing but I don't think he no he doesn't blow the whistle and I don't think he clearly gives a free kick I think he acknowledges the offside and plays the equivalent of of an advantage so I did think it was a bit it was a bit daft I mean it's funny because we saw, do you remember we saw something similar with Nani for Manchester United? Oh, yeah. Very yeah, similar yeah. thing where the re- the goalkeeper sort of has the ball in his hands and, and sort of chucks it onto the floor, thinking he's yeah, yeah. allowed to take his time to kick it. Obviously, you know, there's no free kick. So the Nani just comes in and, and puts the ball into open net. I think it was a similar thing here where there was a kind of misunderstanding of the rules, misunderstanding of the situation. And uh, yeah, well, Benfica have benefited this time. Yeah, I know people might say play to the whistle, but I still, if if the result of this mess is a, a player sent, a goalkeeper sent off, you, you know, the, the common sense has got to come through. The referee's got to get, get involved and, and sort it out better. And because uh, it just killed the game for Ruka. And I, like I mentioned, when when the team sheet came out and we saw 
Benfica back four, you know, they, they might have fancied doing something. They might have felt a bit hopeful, but it just completely, um, absolutely killed the game for them. There's backs against the wall stuff after that. And of course, in 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 fairness, we should say that the, the decision did go to VAR, so it was checked. So I'm sure there would have been some discussion of the rules at that point. Let's look towards their next games then, Barney. Benfica, next game away at Gil Vicente and Aruka are at home to Family Cow. Aruka and then Barney, two losses on the bounce now. Home to Family Cow, not going to be an easy game, but they've desperately got to try and start getting points on the board here. As good as Family Cow are towards the end of the last season, I think they will certainly be targeting this game as a, an opportunity to get points. Obviously, it's hard to gauge from this Benfica game about you know where they are in terms of the stand in the league going down to 10 men so early. But um, yeah, that, that would be a tough game, I think, for them. Benfica, Gil Vicente. You never know Gil Vicente. <laughs> yeah, they've been playing very well recently and it's not a, definitely not a game to take for granted. But presumably, that game will be coming after a very, very important uh, Champions League game. So we'll have to wait and see. Presumably, there'll be score rotation in that game again. And can we just say before we move on, uh, great to see Andre Mader back on the pitch. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, really delighted to see him back. Well, let's do the last of the big three games. And it was a bit of a derby, or was it? Braga versus Sporting, finished 2-1 to Sporting. A game billed as a classico by Sport TV. Interesting, not sure about that one. Two goals for Sporting, Jovan Cabral and Pedro Gonzalez, who else? Uh, and a late consolation for Abel Ruiz. Now, another good win for me, Barney. Good performance from Sporting. Gonzalez got his fourth goal in three games. The guy is just on absolute fire. Not quite the same finish that we've seen in the last few, but uh, they all count. Uh, but the player, of course, that I want to highlight, Barney, is I don't think listeners of our last two episodes will be surprised, is uh, Jovan Cabral. I said last week I was hoping to see a response from him. Uh, I didn't want to see him let his head drop after a tough game last week, missed a penalty, pretty poor performance. And, and for me, he did exactly that. It wasn't necessarily a well-beaten performance, but... He did look very bright. He got a goal, very importantly. Excellent header, by the way. Go back and watch the highlights if you haven't. Excellent Lovely. header. Uh, and of course, got his assist for Gonzalez. And yeah, let's just see if he can keep the momentum going. Yeah, and I like how um, he's still taking the responsibility of like free kicks and the, you know putting good balls in free kicks. Like he's, mm. he's got that to offer to the team as well. Um, no, I thought it was a great performance. I, I, I think we do have to look at Sporting's defence in this game, though, because I think that's what that's what won him this game. Adnan and goal was, you know heroic uh, yeah. incredible yeah. saves and a, a performance that we saw a lot of last season second half of last season I think you know he's proving to be why he's the best goalkeeper for me in the league and then Mateus Nunes I want to say as well because I, I've always seen and spoke of him as a, an attacking midfielder but his defensive performance in this game I was really impressed with he had the most tackles and the most interceptions by anyone on the pitch and mm. and then Fidel and Croatas just do what they mm-hmm. do best and clear clearing crosses I think they got first, cleared 13 crosses altogether so I think yeah, I think that's what won sport in this game, this mm. this solid defence, and it was a, a really impressive performance. And of course, the wing-backs as well doing well. As guy against his former club and Vanagre, they're performing, they're forming quite a good partnership on those wings. We did speak about sporting quite a lot last week, though, Barney. So let's let's talk about Braga. They've actually had more shots on target in this game, more shots overall, relatively even possession. And as you mentioned, Adan made a number of key saves towards the end of the game. So I think you can take a lot of positives from the match that said as the game was going on as we were watching it unfold I did think that it was quite clear we were watching a game between two teams a step apart in terms of quality yes I agree and I think but I also think Braga are in a stronger position than they perhaps were last season I think they've had you know good summer business 
Uh, Mario Gonzalez, Marita, and Paolo Vieira at the back. I think Fabian Martin's coming back as well, strengthens that depth. David Carmo's come back for injury. I know Zach Lowry's made this point a couple of times that Carlos Carvel and his Braga team can't seem to turn games around. You know, if they, if, if they get their heads down, if they go goal behind. They, they, very, they struggle to turn the tide, as it were. And I think that's right. I think there needs to be a change in mentality. And I don't know if these these new signs will help bring that, but that's always been a, that seems to be a problem for Carvalho. Well, I have to be totally honest, Barney. I'm not. I'm not sure I, I agree that they're in a better position than they were at the beginning of last season. And I don't want to get into a whole debate about Braga breaking into the top four because it's a very long debate. And do you know what? It's probably overdone. Uh, it, it's a conversation that's had so many times. But I did. It did. I was thinking about it because I did see a few people. Uh, online talking about how you know every year we kind of hope that Braga are going to do something to surprise us to break into that big three and I, and honestly I think there is a genuine desire um, in Portugal for a team like Braga to to break into that top three because it hasn't happened for a little while uh, so I understand why everyone kind of clamors for it every year but I have to be totally honest and and I think when you look at this Braga team and while I am a big big fan of the manager and a number of the players I think when you're honest and you compare each department of their team with that of the big three, I think they're in fourth place every time. Talking about goalkeepers, defenders, midfield, attack, squad depth. And arguably, again, I don't like saying it, but arguably in coach too. So I just feel like they're not really close at all to, to those top three. Well, no, I, I, I completely agree with you. I think that's a really good point. But um, the, the point I was trying to make is that I feel like they're slightly stronger than last season. I'm not saying that's stronger being finished in the third. I just think I was going to talk about French Sergio because it looks like this was his last game before his move to Bordeaux. Um, a big, I think it's going to be a big loss out, but he's definitely he, uh, played 149 times for Braga with 22 goals, 19 assists from midfield. You know, and he played 44 times from last season, you know, and he's just a, a really tidy player. But the reason I'm bringing up this move is because um, the, the one, well, the price tag is too low for me, but, but anyway, <laughs> Braga have to do it. They have to, they have to sell players like Fran Sergio and right as a guy because they, this season, they, this summer, they've they've held firm on players like Mizrati, Horta, even Gelano. I don't think David Karma is going to move this summer because of his injury. So if they're going to stay strong on those sort of players, keep them at the club who are not only important for the team, but have that room to grow, they are going to have to cash in players like Fran Sergio and Ezgai. But I think in doing that, they're in a stronger position. Yeah, look, I, I I agree. I understand why they do, and and I although I will say that I think Franz Sergio is an underrated player in that Braga side, and I think he will be a big loss. I think he's he's a leader on the pitch. Uh, he's very versatile, and he, he chips in with goals, and I think his contribution will be missed. But there were still some positives in the game from Braga for me, and Louis Medeiros being back in the squad was one of those. I was delighted to see him back. I think he's a really talented player. He started last season so well. Uh, before, of course, got an awful injury. Uh, and he's just a player that I'll always enjoy watching, always enjoy seeing the pitch. And of course, the other positive, Barney, is this 15-year-old prodigy, the young left wing-back, Roger. You know, a lot of people talking about him online, there's a lot of excitement about such a young player making his debut in the league for such a prestigious club. And often when you see these type of young players, you see the natural ability they have, but they kind of fall short in terms of things like positioning, discipline, confidence, those types of things. But this kid looks like he's got those, you know, he looks like a player with like a couple of seasons of senior football already under his belt. And he's 15. It's incredible. Oh man, he, look, he looks really exciting. I, I I cannot wait to see more of him. And also I love, I love how excited it was when um, Abaru's got the yeah. the late goal. He just like... His first over, wasn't he? Oh, it was, it was brilliant celebration. Yeah, I think um, he looks great. I also, I like the other wing back on the right-hand side, Fabiano, you know, 
he really impressed me. He's only 21 years old as well, and, and obviously big shoes to fill with as a guy who goes to sporting. But I think he he was quite an attacking friend. I, I think he suits the back five. I think last week when he was in a back four, he he didn't look as strong. But I think in a back five, when he's he's unleashed a bit and able to get forward a bit more, he looks um he, he looked really good as well. But yeah, I do I do think I, I, although it is another loss against one of the big three, I do think this was a a good a, a fairly decent performance from Braga. Yeah, and look, they've got Morrowinds away in their next game this weekend. Obviously, a 50-50 start to the season, one win, one loss. They'll be looking to get that back up to two wins against Morrowinds, a team who I think we've seen Braga be strong against Maritimo at the beginning of the season. We know that they can dominate the smaller teams, so they'll be looking to get another good result. And of course, Sporting's next home game, Barney, beats that at home. They're off to a winning start and it doesn't look like it's going to end anytime soon. No, it could be... Um... Could be goals galore in that game. Yeah, if uh, if real fever fantasy football had a triple captain, I would just say, give it to Pedro Gonzalez next <laughs> week. Well, let's move outside the big three, Barney. And let's talk about some of the other games that happened in the league. Let's crack on with Vizela versus Tondela, a game that I am branding the Portuguese football hipster derby. Alvaro Pacheco's Vizela versus a Tolandela side featuring Thiago Dantas and Eduardo Cresma. These are two teams that everyone's talking about online. People are tipping to have uh, big seasons. And in this game, of course, it was Vizela who came out on top with two goals, one from Kiko Bendoso and a 98th minute winner from Guillermo Chetti. Now, before we talk about the game, I do just want to give Shatin some praise. Uh, he's an interesting one for me. We saw him, obviously, at Braga last year. Uh, when Paulinho left, there was that period of time when Braga were kind of given a chance to both him and Eber Ruiz to see who was going to be their main striker. In the end, we saw Ruiz given the nod and Shatin went off on a pretty uh, unsuccessful loan to Almeria in Spain. He's back now. He's got a second chance to get back on form here in Portugal. And I think he'll have made himself a bit of a fan, fan favourite uh, with that moment. And he topped it all off quite nicely, but I'm not sure if you saw this with a really sort of heartfelt message on Instagram, which I can read out now. He says, what a unique moment in my career. After going through difficult moments where only those close to me know what happened, yesterday I felt happy again. I have no words for this moment. What a group I found here in Vizela. I'm certain without doubt that we will do a lot here for this club. To the fans, you are unique. Yesterday you didn't stop your support for one minute. This is Vizela. You are champions and we will always fight for this club. Oh man, that is so nice. Yeah. It is easy, easy to forget the individual story in football, isn't it, all the time? Yeah. And, and that's just, a, oh, that's so lovely. I mean, I'm really happy for him. I think, uh, I also think it's a really good bit of business for Vizela. I mentioned last week, you know, they, they've looked within the Premier League and identified players that they can help construct for them. And I think he's a, uh, you know, because they've got Cassiano, but they're going to need other players to step up and get goals. And I think mm. he's certainly going to be one. Well, it's interesting, Bonnie, because we've seen Vizela as a team where, you know, this manager and, and this and this staff, this team of staff are elevating players, you know, from uh, Campeonato to Portugal players, from Segunda Division players now. And now I feel like a player like Guillermo Schettin could be the kind of Premier League equivalent, a player who's, you know, a bit of a misfit. He obviously had a good spell before in Portugal, with Santa Clara, but you know he's a bit of a misfit at the moment. And if that's the type of player that they can get hold of and elevate their game in the way that they have done with those other players, uh, as you say, it could be very good business. 
you know, this was a good performance because it's 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 a, it's a good win for them. They obviously were the sort of game where they felt they could get points, and they they did. I thought their pressing game, which we saw uh, against Sporting, you know, really helped them because they they barely gave Tondo any time at all, and they had um, they got twenty shots in total. They should have scored a couple more, to be fair to them mm-hmm. as well. I thought um, Coffee Crow at right back was a uh, you know constantly putting brilliant crosses in, but. Um, Player for me, Albert, I wanted to highlight as well as Samu in centre mid. I thought he was mm-hmm. majestic in this game. And, uh, okay. And obviously, everyone was waxing, like, waxed lyrical about, and myself included, about Thiago Dantas for Tondea. But I tell you what, this guy, he looks like a hell of a player. He came through Porto's Youth Academy before moving to Bovista when he was 14, 15. Never really made it there. Had a few stints at some of the lower leagues. Then Vizella picked him up in 2019. And like you said, they've kept him with them as they've gone up through the leagues. They've elevated his game. I mean, he's got. He's got a lovely left foot. He, he would just drift around the place, play lovely forward balls. Uh, a Ryan Gould type of player. If you were. <laughs> oh, <mate. laughs> Sorry. I, I, I just wrote, <laughs> as I was writing down left foot, drift around, I was like, hang on. <laughs> well, for those of you playing long ball football, bingo at home, there's your Ryan Gould card. <laughs> Let's move on very swiftly and talk about Tondela, Barney. I mean, I didn't... I, ultimately, I spent most of my focus looking at Vizela in this game. I have been impressed with Tondela in the past. Um, obviously, got their goal for a penalty. What did you make of the performance? I feel like we will judge them better on other games than this game. Well, they were away, first of all. So, you know, if, if this home away form continues from last season where they had a ridiculous home form, but, you know, could, couldn't, couldn't get any results away from home. I think it's the defence. It's it's an issue that they, they seem to struggle with. And... and was a goalkeeping error for the first goal. And for some reason, I don't know, maybe it's just because of I mentioned Babakan the assay last season, but I feel like they always have a dodgy keeper. You know what I mean? Mm, like mm. Uh, maybe that's harsh, but I just felt um, yeah, a poor goal to concede that one. Yeah, ultimately I did think they came off second best in this game. You know, obviously we enjoyed the incredible moment that that 98th minute winner got us. But if I'm being being boring and being harsh, I think they should have scored twice before that, you know, before before full-time was up. So um, I think Tondela were kind of let off the hook a little bit. Uh, Vizela, obviously, off to a good start now. They're away at Vittoria next game, Bonnie. That's going to be very interesting. I feel like we're going to come on to Vittoria in a second, but that feels like a team there for the taking at the moment. And Tondela's next game, Portman ends at home, another one where they're coming up on a team, coming up against a team who finished in a relatively similar place to them last year. And if they are going to, you know, be the kind of outsider team that a few people have tipped them to be. That's the type of game that they've got to show. Okay, we're a step above. I I think that could be a really good game. That one. I think they're both um, be quite evenly matched. I think. I think mm. it'd be uh, really interesting to see the two strikers. Obviously, Beto, but uh, Daniel Andros for Tondeo, who is I think it's been a, a lovely bit of business and a worthy replacement of Gonzalez from what we've seen in these first two games. So yeah, that would be a really interesting game. Well, I just mentioned Vittorio Barney. Let's deal with their game. They drew nil nil against Estoril Prime. Honestly, for me, I thought this was a game where both teams underperformed, although, in my opinion, one team much worse than the other. And that, of course, was Vittoria. Really, really disappointing game from their perspective when you bear in mind uh, the manner uh, in which they lost their game against Portimonense last week, dominating the game, failing to score their own goals and getting picked off with possibly the only chance of the game that their opponents had uh, in fairness, they started the, they started the game with a few opportunities, but it was the second half which was absolutely shocking. Gave away a needless penalty, which they were really lucky to get away with when Clovis put that wide. Got a man sent off with Alpha Semedo picking up two yellow cards for two poor challenges, 
And, you know, after the result they got last week, what we wanted from them was a bit of improvement, you know, to give the players some confidence. But this was honestly a step back from last week and even worse display than I think we saw in the first day of the season. They really need to start the attack. It's as simple as that. They had two goals in their last five league games. Uh, last season, they were 14th in the league for shots taken, 14th for shots and targets. They've scored the same amount of goals as Tondeo and Boa Vista last season. And both teams who we would, you know, this is supposedly the fifth best team in Portugal, but mate, they're nowhere near. And they need to sign someone and it has to be a priority because I, I don't, well, I don't understand how they let Aziz leave on loan. That has yeah. to be questioned. You know, 15 goals in the Segunda Liga last season. Like, Estupin was Vittoria's highest scorer last season with eight. You know, that, that's almost double that. And you might not like this, but they might have to sell Edwards and reinvest in a couple of strikers because, you know, something's got to give. Well, I was just about to suggest that I think he probably should be dropped based on the two games that we've seen from him this season because I feel like Kuresma was actually being very productive. And I say that in an almost surprised way because I always just had the tendency to assume that Kuresma is just going to be having a kick about doing skills, tricks and stuff like that. But he was actually very... Uh, creative and, and created all their best chances. Edwards, I just thought, again, a poor game. Maybe he's struggling with feeling like he has to take on responsibility. Who knows? But it's not working at the moment. He's not being creative enough. He's not being consistent enough. Uh, he's not creating the amount of chances that he should because even in a game like this, he had one or two moments where he just did everything right, got down the wing, cut in, beat his man, put a good ball into the box. That's what he needs to be doing. But too often, I feel like he gets distracted. And in my opinion, I would... I would bring in someone like Rashinia, who I thought was their standout performer last year. Yeah, I agree with that. But the only thing I would say to, to sort of um, back Edwards is to say he's the only one with pace in that team. Man. I feel like I feel like they they're quite slow. They're quite um, they take too much time in, like in and around the area. They just you know it just there's no um, there's no zing. There's no you know pace on the balls or whatever. And Edwards is the only one with pace. Let's flip it around now. But do, do you think Estro missed an opportunity here? I mean, absolutely. I mean, with that red card, that was 55 minutes, right? Yeah, really absolutely. Missing. Absolutely. And, and it might sound harsh, but I think they should be disappointed with, with the way that they, they, they perform because the draw is not, simply not good enough, as you say, after missing a penalty. And playing 40 minutes against 10 men. Pinheiro surprised me with some of the attacking and creative talent that he left on the bench. Giraldo's left on the bench, Machino left on the bench, Chiquinho left on the bench. I thought Chiquinho, when he came on, was excellent. I thought he had two good goal-scoring opportunities. Machino, again, looks very bright. I think he looks like he's ready to have even more of an impact at this club than he did at Rio Ave. But, you know, I, I do believe that they, they definitely should have done better and maybe they just started the game off too conservatively. I, I don't want people to think when we talk about Estro, we're just going to talk about Giraldo's and Machino. But... <laughs> <laughs> the, the the point you made there is absolutely right. How down to ten men at fifty five minutes? Gerardo's came on the sixty eighth minute. Machino on the eighty fourth minute. You mm. have to. I've seen Jose Mourinho do this a couple of times where he's playing a team. They go down to ten men instantly. He's making attacking substitutions. Yeah. He's changing the game. He's going for it. But for Pinero to like take this long, and I mean, we saw what Machino did when he came on last week. It's it's you know, and I know players like Crespo and and Gamboa in midfield. You know, they've got. They, they scored and created more goals than Gerardo's Machino did last season. But you know that Machino would have brought you something like a little bit extra in this game and, and stretched the defence. And I think he should have made the substitutions earlier. And, you know, one shot on target just says it already. They, they really didn't capitalise on this opportunity. And and in this league out, they're not going to get many opportunities like this. And look, well, look, maybe maybe uh, Pinero was looking at this game and thinking, well, look, you know, they've still got players like Edwards and, and Corregimor on the pitch. So maybe he thought there was still danger and didn't want to make the changes too early. But 
you know, Estoril, let's not forget, this is not a team, this is not their first league, this is not their first season in the Premier League, and this is a team that fancy themselves a little bit, you know. This is a team that want to be at least mid-table this year. You know, they've got relatively high ambitions. Uh, and if you're going to do that, I feel like you have to do things like beat Vittoria when they're there for the taking, which they absolutely were in this game. Look, Vittoria, they want to arrest that start. As we said, they're at home at least against Vizela in their next game. So we'll wait to see eagerly how that game goes. And it's the rules next game, away at Passos. So that's going to be an interesting one. A good win on the first day of the season, a draw in this game. At least they're unbeaten. And going into that game against Passos, they'll be, you know, confident they can extend that unbeaten run at the very least. You know, they'll be happy four points from their first two games. Um, but if you're Vittoria, the teams you've played and you're coming away with one point, you know, potentially, if, if they were to lose to Vizela, that, that's an absolutely dreadful start. And they're, in, they're in trouble. Absolutely. Well, look, there's only one more game that we want to mention this week. Uh, and that is, of course, Gilles Vicente versus Porto Menens. And I believe the reason you want to bring this up, game up, Barney, is because one of your personal favourites, Samuelino, bagged the winning goal. And we joke about it, Barney. We used to make a little bit of a laugh and a joke about how much we rated him. There's a good reason now, because he's now scored two very good goals in two games. I don't know if we made enough of it last week, that his goal last week was very well taken, I thought. Uh, this equally another good goal this year, where he runs almost from his own half, admittedly unchallenged, but still a very good goal. And I think, do you know what? When I look at him now, Barney, he looks physically bigger, stronger. He looks like he's done a lot of work over the summer. And I really, really think, you know, this kid will not be at Gilles Vicente for much longer. I just couldn't believe that the amount of time and space they gave him. They just backed off and backed off and backed off. And I, I think what I think what he's shown, uh, Samuelino, is that he he's very good at scoring from just outside the box. You know, it, it, you know where you might think he'd um, take a few more steps into the box, get closer to goal. He's he's very happy to you know to take a shot from a slightly further out. And you know, his two goals this season have come from his another next year. Has come from next year zero point eight four. You know. The guy's lethal at finishing. Yeah, I, I'm so happy for him. I've, I think he was the difference in this game. I thought the only other player, you know, you, you guy you like Fujimoto. I love Ricardo Suarez has been playing him in a midfield three rather than as I see him as a winger. But you know, he's got bags of energy. He's good at getting up and down, and I think that could be a really interesting. Uh, he only got one or two, uh, one goal and two assists last season. But I, I think he's got one assist already. He'll definitely be looking to get more this yeah. season. You will definitely increase those increase those figures. I mean, you were feeling smug about tipping Tony Martinez for top scorer. I'm feeling quite smug about tipping Gil Vicente as outsiders for Europe. Honestly, in all seriousness, though, I think they are they're generally set up very well for this season with a very good manager, good set of players. Portimento were disappointed with that result, especially after they managed to, you know, execute a pretty good game plan last week when they nicked that one 0 win off Vittoria. I think they'll be disappointed in the manner that they conceded that goal, really, because, as we said, good goal from Lino's perspective, but he does pretty much run through the whole Portimonense team from his own half, and and I think he gets a deflection on the way in, slight deflection, so I think they will be disappointed with that. Well, that is the last game that we're going to cover this week, but we did just want to mention one team that we might have seemingly avoided this season, and that is, of course, Boa Vista. Yeah, it's this weird thing where they're playing three Mondays on the trot, and obviously we record on the Monday evening, so... We're not going to be able to cover them for a while. Well, I tell you what, Barney, I'm just getting a live reaction for you here. It's currently 8.39 on Monday evening, 77 minutes into the Boa Vista game, the team that we tipped to finish, both of us tipped to finish in the bottom three, are currently winning 3-0 against Pastor Ferreira. Yusufa scored a goal in the 90th minute, assisted by Kenji Gore, someone who I rate quite a lot. Javi Garcia, 2-0 in the 61st minute. Uh, and in the 76th minute, they've scored 
from a nameless goal scorer because the live score app hasn't updated yet. Three nil. How about that? Man, I was literally here about to say like we're aware of the shit show that's going on at Bevis. Yeah, yeah. Well, do you know what? In all seriousness, though, and I'm assuming they're going to see that over the line. I'm really delighted for the fans because I really like Boa Vista as a club. I really like the fact that they've got a really big vocal fan base. And yeah, we haven't been able to to touch on them so much this season just because of our recording schedule. But they're always a team that we're gonna we're gonna consider one of the important ones to cover in this league. Well, that is all we've got time for this week. A slightly quicker one this week, uh, but we hope you enjoyed it as much as you enjoyed the other ones. We'd like to say thank you very much to everybody who's been tuning in, downloading and subscribing. Uh, we've been really pleased with the response to the season so far. If you are enjoying the show, you could leave us a little review on Apple Podcasts if that's your preferred podcast provider or send the podcast to a friend who you think might enjoy it. You can contact the show by getting us on Twitter at football or emailing us at longballfootball at gmail.com we're always open for any correspondence uh, or questions but that just leaves me to say thank you very much and we'll see you again next week yeah see you next week